Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 17, titled Stowaway. Uh, Yet another very, very good episode that is, man, just... Weird. (laughs) This is a weird episode for a whole host of reasons, not the least of which being that William Bell is inside Olivia Dunham's body. Uh, This episode picks up right where the last one left off, diving into all of that craziness. Uh, Turns out, by the way, uh, Bell planned this long ago. Like, literally the first time uh, Olivia met him on the other side. William Bell slipped the soul magnets into Olivia's tea, and she drank the soul magnets, and they've been in her ever since. So that's a thing. That, that happened. Makes, uh, makes that scene on the other side, uh, significantly weirder, let's say. But now that's paid off, Bell's inside Olivia's body, and they basically, an entire subplot throughout this episode is William Bell and Walter trying to find a suitable host for Bell to transfer his consciousness into on a more permanent basis so he doesn't, like, literally steal Olivia's mind from her. Uh, they're searching through morgues and, uh, hospitals and stuff for, like, brain-dead bodies that are compatible with him. Uh, at one point, they experiment with possibly putting him inside Gene the Cow, which... Okay. (laughs) And in the meantime, Bella just sticks around as Olivia Dunham, much to Peter's chagrin, because Peter... Peter hates all of this, as does Broyles. They both despise everything about what's happening here. And he just sticks around in Olivia's body and works a fringe case and does a lot of lab work with Walter and hijinks ensue. <laughs> and it's so... My God, this is so fun to watch. Watching... Olivia, watching William Bell as Olivia Dunham, uh, watching Anna Torv do her best Leonard Nimoy impression throughout this entire episode, it's, it's the stuff that dreams are made of, quite frankly, like, it's just, it's so weird, and so fun, and so entertaining, and every single second of Anna Torv being William Bell is phenomenal. Every single second of it is so fantastic. And I love it. I absolutely freaking love it. It is great. Uh, I particularly enjoy the running joke of William Bell constantly hitting on Astrid in a kind of creepy way. Like, William Bell's an absolute creep. Like, 
constantly hitting on Astrid, her being, like, visibly uncomfortable. And if, let me be clear, if this was just Leonard Nimoy being there, hitting on Astrid, this would have been uncomfortable as shit. Like, this would have been just full-blown creepazoid. There would have been nothing funny about it. It would have been creepy old man uh, coming on to a vulnerable young woman. Like, that's... That would have been scummy. But, like, something about the levels of madness that is this conceit uh, in general. Like, this is... William Bell in the body of Olivia Dunham. Anna Torv doing her best letter Nimoy impression. Constantly hitting on Astrid. And that subversion, that complete decimation of what we know of to be the Olivia Dunham persona. uh, What we know to be the dynamics between Olivia Dunham and Astrid. Something about that, and something about knowing that in the back of your mind that that is the case... You can't help but laugh. Even if it's a nervous laughter. Like, you can't help but just think, wow, this is insane. Like, it's just thinking about everything going into that moment. Like, they walked a tightrope. They walked a tightrope with that joke. It could have very easily backfired. It could have very easily come across as creepy. But that... Like, again, that subversion that's baked into this entire episode and that madness that's baked into this entire concept of William Bell inside Olivia Dunham's body as Anna Torv does her best Leonard Nimoy impression. Like, something about that makes what could have been creepy, like, genuinely hilarious. I especially love the moment where... (laughs) Bell is doing, like, the electromagnetism... Uh demonstration in the midst of it makes Astrid this bracelet it's like I think it suits you dear and then Astrid just like takes it off and then not so discreetly buttons the top button on her shirt <laughs> and <laughs> and the rest of the episode she just has that top button buttoned up like literally the rest of the episode like it's just this episode's so weird. This entire plotline is so bizarre. And I love it so much. Like, this is my type of weird. This is my type of strange. Uh, especially, I, I I haven't even mentioned the dynamic that completely shifts between... <laughs> between Olivia and Walter. That completely shifts between Anna Torv and John Noble in this episode. Because William Bell's in Olivia's body... Uh, both of those actors now had the Herculean task to just say, Hey, uh, you built up these several seasons of chemistry? Throw all that out the window. Now you have to completely change your dynamic with one another <laughs> for this one very, very strange, very, very bizarre episode. And they nailed it. Like, they really, really did. And I love how Walter is, like, the only one here who isn't, like, kind of creeped out by this. Who isn't, like, kind of weirded out by this. Like, Peter is angry. Broyles is annoyed. Astrid's, like, creeped out mostly because uh, William Bell is in the body of Olivia Dunham constantly hitting on her. Uh, Everyone has some level of discomfort over this. But Walter's just like... Oh no, it's 
it's Belle. He's in Olivia's body. This is all, this is all cool. And all of their scenes together. Like, you believe that they're old friends. You believe that they're people who have worked together for decades. Like, it's just, oh, everything about it. Everything about it is so great. I love it so much. It is so fun to watch. Also, not to, uh... Not to give this, uh, the short shrift here, uh, not to sort of shrug this off or anything, but we meet the Prime Universe, Link and Lee, for the first time in this episode. Uh, this is the first time we meet the quote-unquote real Lincoln. Up until now, we've only seen the alternate version. Now here's the one from our side, and I really like the Prime Universe Lincoln Lee. Uh, he's a lot more rigid, a lot calmer. Uh, he definitely is not the joking type the way that the alternate Lincoln Lee was. He is definitely not the easygoing uh, alternate Lincoln Lee. Uh, basically, the differences between him and his alternate are not dissimilar to the differences between Olivia and hers. Uh, uh, between Olivia and faux Olivia. Uh, and this was a very, very good introduction to our Lincoln's personality. This is a really good introduction to our Lincoln as a person. And I will say, we're going to spend a lot more time with the Prime Universe Lincoln going forward. Uh... This is not a spoiler, but he is a series regular in Season 4. Seth Gable, the actor who plays Lincoln, is a series regular in Season 4. Uh, so we will spend way, 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 way more time uh, with the Prime Universe Lincoln. Uh, and I do really, really like this character. So, yeah, he's great. He's awesome. And I, I love, I love so much every time he goes into... Fringe Division, or interacts with anyone from Fringe Division, and it's just like, what the hell is going on here? What is any of this? What am I looking at right now? <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> what is, what is this? Man, I'm ten minutes in, and I haven't even gotten to the plot of the episode yet. Really speaks to how much fun the subplots of this episode are uh, with William Bell. Uh, but, yeah, this episode, uh, the main storyline is about a woman who can't die. Uh, she is, she has been seen at the sites of several suicides. Where she has gotten up as if nothing was wrong and just walked away after many, many, many situations where she should have been killed. Uh, apparently, these are dating back to... A time when her family was murdered in a robbery along with her. And she just got up and walked out of the morgue. And she's just been wandering aimlessly ever since. And she's just been walking around, showing up at the sites of these suicides, and just tagging along. Weirdly. Now, initially, we're thinking, like, oh, is she, like, a soul vampire? Is she somehow sucking up their life force after they die and stealing uh, their 
their life force so she can live longer. But then eventually we figure out, uh, digging more into her life, more into her life, more into her life, uh, digging into her work on Suicide Outlines, where she saved uh, quite a few lives. We eventually figure out, wait a minute, it's actually the reverse. She's tagging along because she wants to die. Uh, her, like, the electro magnetism in her molecules or whatever is so strong that they just won't break apart. They won't decay like a dead person would. And she's not able to die. Like, maybe she's trying. She believes that she can stow away on other people going up to heaven or whatever. Uh, She believes that she can just hitch a ride when other people's life force leaves their body. And she's trying to do this, trying to do this, trying to do this. She keeps failing, she keeps failing, she keeps failing. And the entire time we're trying to find her, we're trying to track her down, we're trying to figure out how the hell this works. This goes from 0 to 60 real quick when her latest victim, her latest project... Turns out to be a crazy man who put a bomb on a train and is like, here's where the bomb is. Only you can uh, stop the bomb and save those people and then kills himself. And she goes to the train. Fringe Division's not that far behind her. She got spotted around that apartment and she, uh, and they... Go through the apartment long enough to realize, oh shit, there's a bomb uh, somewhere. And she goes onto the train. She sits down with the bomb and doesn't do anything. She just sits there. Because in her mind, well, one soul I clearly can't hitch a ride off of. I... Uh, that's completely failed, but a bunch of souls on a train that explodes. Maybe I can, maybe I can increase my chances of being killed. Maybe I can increase my chances of dying and being reunited with my family. Like, she's become so desperate to die like she was supposed to that night, quote-unquote supposed to that night, and be reunited with her family. In whatever afterlife there is, or may not be, who knows. Like, she is so desperate for death that she's willing to take a shit ton of people with her if it means that her quote-unquote immortality may come to an end. By the way, worth noting uh, that apparently this woman got struck by lightning twice. Uh, And that's the... That is the thought of this is probably why... Electromagnetic, whatever, whatever, is off and uh, overly strong and keeping these molecules together and they can't be broken apart and she can't die. So we get, uh, eventually, through calling this woman, and by the way, the scene of Peter on the phone with this woman and saying like, hey, listen, I know what you're doing, I know what's happening, I get it. This isn't the answer. And this woman's saying, like, no, you don't understand. I have no choice. I have to do this. And, like, that whole phone conversation is great. Uh, But through talking on the phone with this woman and going through background noise and 
uh, hearing that she's on a train and hearing that the train's going to go to this stop at such and such time. Uh, and, like, they deduce which train she's on. William Bell and Walter have this great scene where they're not finishing sentences and doing the math on which train she could possibly be on and whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, mathematically speaking, they find the train, they stop the train, they search the entire thing for the bomb. She's not there. She got off the second the train stopped. And it's just walking away with the bomb. Bomb blows up. Bomb go boom. And this is what killed her. This bomb is the thing that finally caused her to be able to die. Now, at the end of the day, William Bell provides a couple of theories. One. The bomb disrupted the electromagnetism and basically reset her, and that is what caused her to finally be able to die. Two, uh, all that's bullshit. All that electromagnetism, whatever, is completely nothing, and uh, it was just some cosmic wherever where her destiny was to save those people on the train. And that was her purpose, and she needed to stay here for that purpose. And this was just some cosmic whatever. William Bell also makes a pretty convincing argument that, like, isn't it weird that we meet someone who can't die right when I come back from the dead? Like, some cosmic coincidence. And this is what I love about this episode so much. At no point do they definitively say one way or the other. They, like, totally are just like, here's the two theories. Here's the two ways this could possibly go. We don't know for sure either way. Go nuts. Give your theories. Like, this is what I love about Fringe. They are so good at being able to tell, at being able to identify which questions to definitively answer and which questions to leave open-ended or leave entirely up to interpretation. They are very good at identifying what to just close the loop on and what to just leave open for ran- for rampant fan speculation. I love that. I absolutely love that that is a thing that they do. They are very, very good at it. Uh, and this episode, I think, is the prime example of just how good they are at that. Maybe it's the scientific explanation. Maybe it's the cosmic explanation. We don't know. And we don't need to know, quite frankly. Like, we don't know, and we, at no point, like, either way, it doesn't really change the story. So what's the point? Like, no matter which way it goes, the story is the same, the outcome is the same, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the actual explanation is. Like, we don't have to get hung up on the explanation behind it if we don't have to. And then there's this ending, where some church bells ring in the background, and then Olivia comes up for air for a second, and then William Bell comes back and is like, 
Oh, crap. Uh, this might be more complicated than I thought. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. So, uh, yeah. That was, uh, some fun times with Olivia Dunham being replaced by William Bell. And we will definitely, uh, conclude this plotline in the next episode. There definitely won't be a hard cut to the alternate universe, uh, leaving us hanging for an extra episode on this particular plotline at all. That won't happen. They'll go straight back into Prime Universe stuff and leave whatever alternate universe, whatever, for a time when we're not on a massive cliffhanger. Oh, God, seriously. Fringe, these damn writers are such assholes. Like, in seasons three and four in particular, anytime there's, like, a really big, really interesting cliffhanger that we're like, oh, oh, what does this mean? What's going to happen next in the story? What's going to happen next in the story? They immediately just say, F that, and go... Our next episode is going to be in the alternate universe. Or our next episode is going to be in some weird uh, far future. Or whatever. Like, our next episode is going to be some alternate something. And we'll come back to that other thing at some point. It's just like, we'll come back to that other thing next week. You don't want to see that this week, do you? Uh, That can wait for another week. That can wait for an extra week while we do this alternate universe or far future story. Right? Right. Like... They do that so much (laughs) in, like, seasons three and four in particular. Like, and they pick, like, the most inconvenient possible moments. They pick the most annoying moments to do it. And, like, every time, every time they do that, like, I remember, I remember watching this for the first time on Netflix, when Fringe was on Netflix. I remember watching it, binging through it for the first time. And constantly, I would get to one of those moments where they had a pretty decent-sized cliffhanger and then went to an alternate universe or far future episode, and I would just be like, F you, you assholes! You're the worst! (laughs) Ah. It's frustrating. It's frustrating as hell. But it speaks to how addictive this damn show is and their how good and interesting their damn story is. That I'm so interested that I get annoyed whenever they pull that switch. It's just like, gah. So the next episode is alternate universe, but then we'll uh finish this storyline. <laughs> uh by the way, we only have five episodes left in the season, so we're coming up on the end. We're coming up on the end of season three. Oh boy, get ready. Man, is uh is the last bit of this season something else. It it really, really is. Anyway. Uh if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as we go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just push my button. On the Anchor app, I'll play those on the show from time to time, if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month, 
Or, if that's not work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, On Monday, we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 18. Talk to you then.